0: Everyone, Welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host Vince Piggott. Once again and always, we are joined by our captain, Tilly Baden. Ahoy there! How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR?
1: Hello everyone. So, yeah, it's been good, thank you. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke, wasn't it? Because you've been off on your holidays and... Um, I was in London this weekend, just gone. Um, I went to see Frozen, the musical, and it was amazing. I love Frozen. I love everything Disney, as you know. Um, Although my social work skills were put to the test when I had some really annoying kids sat behind me. Uh that kept talking and then wanting to go to the toilet and then kicking the back of my seat and just being really annoying. And I did want to throttle them, but I had to remind (laughs) myself I was a social worker and that would be frowned upon. Um, But yeah, that was a really good show. Uh, Went to the national art gallery, which was really exciting. Let's see all the art. Um, And I stayed in a hotel in Hyde park and it was good until there was a fire alarm at one o'clock in the morning which woke me up and i was staying on my own and that was a bit scary so i had to get up in the middle of the night trundle off outside with the other guests and then luckily it was a false alarm um, but that ruined my night's sleep but apart from that It was a really good weekend. But I'm more excited to hear about your Berlin trip because I know we've caught up off air about this, Mm. but tell me all about it and and share your stories with the listeners.
0: Yeah, it was superb. So, you know me, I don't really get much time off. Um, So my lady friend was talking about wanting to go to a Christmas market and she was suggesting we go to Edinburgh. She'd heard the Christmas markets in Edinburgh were good and she's a fan of a Bavarian market. And you know me, Tilly. I'm not I'm not a man to do things by half, in for a penny, and for a pound. Is that not the man I am?
1: <laughs> exactly. I would expect no less from you, Vince.
0: No, no. So I said to her, Well, if you like Bavarian markets, let's go to Bavaria. And she said, yes. So uh yeah, booked us. We went out to Berlin, flew out on the Monday came back on the Friday so we had four days there and it was it was amazing it really really was I mean the Christmas markets in Berlin are are something else entirely. so as well as hitting up uh, we did we did three Christmas markets a day that was our average that was our path for the course as well as really milking milking as much glue vine and versed as we could out of those markets uh, getting all the festive cheer that we could fill ourselves up with. We also um, had a good tour of Berlin. So on the first full day there, on the Tuesday, we went to the Reichstag building and went to Brandenburg gate on the Wednesday. We went up the Berlin TV tower, which was amazing. So you can go up, you can book for breakfast. You go up there and this tower is 210 meters tall, tallest building in Berlin. At one time, it was one of the tallest um, constructions in the world. And, the dining room revolves. So every half an hour it is a full revolution of the rooms. The room literally revolves by itself, which is amazing. So as you sat down having breakfast, you get a you get a bird's eye view of Berlin, which was amazing. And then on the Thursday, we um checked out the wall, went over to the uh, East Berlin train station, walked up and down the the Berlin Wall Gallery, which is a 1.3-kilometre section of the wall, which is the longest section of the Berlin Wall still left. And every 10 metres or so, there's a block of the wall, which has been done up in various different murals and paintings by artists. And that was really, really good. But we were blessed with the weather. It um, it snowed the entire time we were there. Like, how lucky is that?
1: That's so magical. Oh, was it cold, though? Was it? Or was it yeah, like, Oh, it was manageable. freezing.
0: It was yeah. the now the four days we were there it wasn't above zero degrees celsius for the entire time
1: wow literally oh yeah yeah
0: i had my thermal long johns i had my four layers on you know it was yeah really it was it was really really cold it was it was really cold indeed but again that's exactly what you want if you go to berlin for christmas market you want the snow so yeah blessed it was it was a superb time and um Already looking forward to going back again next year. I would I would love to make it a Christmas tradition. It um it was just a really, really nice way to kind of have a a week off um this time of year because things are ever so hectic. I don't know about you with work, Tilly, but phew, wow. <laughs> not 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 to coin a phrase, not to make a pun, but phew, even children's safeguard. And I'm sure I speak for me and all our listeners when I say we are snow runner at this time of year i can't imagine it's any better in adults with winter pressures is it
1: no i mean we've we almost don't get winter pressures anymore because every year is every day is a pressure
0: Um, (laughs) just like just just life life pressure pressure.
1: um so but yeah I, i know what you mean it is obviously very very busy um as always but going back to berlin thank you very much for all the tips that you've given me because listeners i'm off to berlin this weekend we both booked these trips separately we didn't know that each other were going within the space of a week um i'm going with my mum, so um looking forward to going to visit all the christmas markets and thank you for for all the tips on where to go
0: nice nice um Right, let's uh, let's uh, leave Berlin behind and uh, crack on with this week's show. You ready to do this, my friend?
1: Yep, it's um not a particularly happy topic this week, but one that needs to be done.
0: Yes, that's a fair point, Tilly. Um, so, listeners, the the inspiration for this week's podcast is the story of Ruth Perry. Now, those of you in England are probably well aware of Ruth Perry, not only because it's made national headlines, but simply because of the correlations that her story has with social work. Those of you further afield may not be as aware of Ruth Perry, so I'll quickly tell you all her story. Ruth was a 53 year old head teacher who worked as a head teacher at a primary school in Reading called Caversham Primary School. By all accounts, she was an excellent head teacher. Um, Her school was rated as outstanding. So Ofsted are a regulatory body that regulate and investigate and essentially assess and, you know, inspect schools. They also inspect children's social care as well, which we'll get on to. But in the case of Ruth Perry, this is a national organisation that inspects schools to ensure they're up to certain standards. Now, Ruth was a highly respected teacher in her school, was outstanding, the highest you could get. You could get outstanding, which is the best, good, requires improvement, and then inadequate, which is the worst. Ruth learned that her school was going from outstanding, which was the best it could be, to inadequate, which is the worst rating it could be. She took her own life on January the 8th, earlier this year, after being told that her school was being downgraded as such. This story has been well followed. Um, Her family have campaigned for fair inspections because there were concerns that the pressure of this Ofsted inspection did contribute to Ruth's death. The coroner has recently ruled this story came out last Friday, the coroner has ruled that that these things were linked, and the coroner, uh, Ms. Connor, said that she found that parts of the Ofsted inspection into Miss Perry's school, and this is a direct quote from the coroner, lacked fairness, respect, and sensitivity, and that it was at times rude and intimidating and adding that she felt parts of the inspection were done to rather than done with the school. Um, Deborah Coles, the director of Inquest, which has been supporting the family, said on this matter, the coroner has made clear the significant disadvantage the family of Ruth Perry would have been in without their legal team. The absence of equality of arms and power imbalance in such cases is, is unjustifiable, And a stain on a democratic society needs to be urgently addressed. In light of the evidence, it is clear there needs to be systemic change in the hope that future deaths are prevented and her death has made a difference and done some good, as she did in life. So, Tilly, pretty conclusive, pretty conclusive here. You have a coroner clearly saying... That an Ofsted inspection likely contributed to the death of a head teacher, and that this inspection was lacking in fairness, respect, and sensitivity, and at times rude and intimidating. What does that say about Ofsted, and in particular, the inspectors that were presiding over this inspection, which we can clearly say now, given the coroner said this, likely contributed? to this head teacher taking her own life and dying by suicide.
1: Well, the coroner doesn't mince her words, does she? Um, ah. I mean, she she's come out and that's that's a really damning statement to make. Um and obviously founded in evidence. Um I hope those Ofsted inspectors and the Ofsted processes that sit behind them are, are really thoroughly looked at as a result of this. Um like no matter what sort of job you have to do and and don't get me wrong in, inspections have their place um i think we we it, it's a good thing overall that we have them but there is no excuse ever for being rude and unprofessional um uh, and making someone feel like it's all their fault um there should be a an evidence based um assessment based on the actual, the, the situation and not personal views. Um, no one should have to be made to feel like that at work. If you've done something wrong or if the systems within the school aren't up to scratch, then there's ways and means of addressing those with the proper channels. And obviously that's not how it went down with, with this um, primary school. Um, it's, it's inexcusable.
0: Would you care to share with us just a little bit about how investigations of services work and adult social work in terms of how things work both for services, you know, local authority services, how you're inspected, but also explain a little bit about – And people may have heard the term Care Quality Commission, Quality Care Commission, is it? I don't even know the exact term. Care
1: <laughs> <Fire laughs> Quality Commission, yes, yeah, CQC.
0: See, I, was, um, I was right the second time, Care Quality yeah. Commission. <laughs> Uh, Quality <laughs> Care Commission. It sounds the
1: Same um, thing. yeah. Would you like yeah.
0: to explain just briefly to our listeners and to me, evidently, how those two <laughs> things work, just so we can of understand course. how inspections might work? And then I'll do the same for children's services here in the UK.
1: Yeah, of course. So I can only speak for England because um, that's where I practice. I don't know where um, how things run in other countries. Um, but within adult services that are run by local authorities... We have just started a new set of inspections from the Care Quality Commission or CQC. Um, And as far as I'm aware, apart from the two pilot local authorities that kind of tested out this new model of inspections, local authorities' inspections haven't started yet. And from January 2024, we'll start to hear when potentially we might be inspected. So it's a little bit of an unknown at the moment Um, and I think all local authorities up and down the country are preparing as best as they can and and there's probably a bit of panic that sits there too to try and make sure that that services are as run as effectively as possible, um, that all the information that CQC will want to inspect is, is on hand and that our systems are fit for purpose So CQC for adult services will be inspecting local authorities against the Care Act 2014. That's that's the legislation that we operate under and they will be assessing about how well we meet those statutory duties. But in terms of what the actual inspections will look like, um, we're not really sure yet. Um, Watch this space and I'm sure we'll hear more as local authorities start receiving those inspection dates um, at the beginning of next year.
0: Nice. Um, I'll just briefly explain the same for children's social work then. So children's social work, we are we are overseen by Ofsted, exactly the same organization, which um again can be quite clearly said, likely contributed to the death of Ruth Perry. Um, it's very similar. In fact, it's exactly the same to schools. We, in terms of local authority departments in children's safeguarding and children's services, are deemed to be outstanding, good requires improvement, or inadequate. And Ofsted inspections are incredibly, incredibly stressful. In fact, I would go so far as to say that as an organisation, they are the most stressful things that organisations and all within them go through. The quest to satisfy Ofsted, to prepare for the next Ofsted inspection, to be Ofsted ready to make up and to improve that grading is probably the beating drum that guides the rhythm of most local authorities and it is a cloying cloying pressure it is very very difficult now I'm going to go on to discuss it a bit further I'm not going to say it's unnecessary certainly but the pressure and scrutiny that it brings is crushing it really is and it does not surprise me that someone such as Ruth Perry could end up taking her own life because of the pressure that brings, because being a frontline social worker, you know, I get the least amount of pressure from it, to be honest, because it's not my job that's going to be affected by it. Yes. When your case gets pulled from inspection, it can be a bit pressurized and it can be difficult, but ultimately my job doesn't, you know, doesn't begin or end based upon an Ofsted inspection. If you are a head teacher um, if you're assistant director, if you're a service manager, if you're a director, then yes, these things can really, really affect your job. When you may lose your job, depend upon the outcome, I'll be certainly expected to potentially move on and take a severance package. It can change your entire life. Um, you've obviously worked within the Ofsted inspection framework for Tilly for a brief period. Given that we've both worked within the Ofsted framework, What do we both think about the coroner's findings and the death of Ruth Perry? Can you see how that pressure of I said there could very well lead to somebody feeling the way that Ruth
1: did? Absolutely, yes. I I was in children's services when we were inspected by Ofsted, and it was horrendous. horrendous.
0: Horrendous.
1: I mean, uh, fortunately, not really for me as as, as a mm. frontline social worker. As you said, it, it it doesn't necessarily impact too greatly on the staff that are actually you do you escape it, don't line. you? You kind of yeah, escape you it. You do, but I remember watching managers, service managers, coming out of meetings in tears. Um, wow. I know wow. people had to leave their jobs because of it. Um, some of the scrutiny was that was put on was in my opinion, completely unjustified because they are looking at a tiny snapshot and that's the problem with any sort of assessments. And it's, it's something that we have to be careful with as social workers when we're assessing risk. Um, We're we're only looking at a tiny little glimpse into either someone's life or, or in this case, an organization's working um, and performance levels. So, you've got to be very careful about not making sort of sweeping statements or snap judgments. Um, and everyone can have a really bad day. Um, we Mm -hmm. can all experience that. And sometimes, sometimes they look at a case and actually on that day, wasn't, someone wasn't performing at their best, but that, then that can overshadow every single good bit of work that that person's ever done. What it doesn't take into account as much as it should is the system pressures. Um, We all know that services are not at their best. Um, It doesn't take a rocket scientist to work that out. We've suffered from years under an austerity government and services and resources have been stripped back below the bare minimum. We're working often in in unsafe and under-resourced environments. So, of course, there are going to be mistakes made Um, people aren't going to receive the service that any of us really want to provide. We're just trying to get through doing the best that we can with what we've got. And I don't think these regulatory bodies necessarily take enough of that into account. Um, And and certainly from my experience of that Ofsted inspection, it became very personal. And that is a really dangerous place to be because it shouldn't be personal. This is about someone's practice, not about them.
0: I fully agree with everything you say there. Everything you say there. I, In my experience of the Ofsted inspection framework, I found it to be very, very cold-hearted. Very cold-hearted indeed. There is, There is an us-versus-them ethos. Um, the Ofsted inspectors are held up, you know, high and mighty. It, it, it's done too. you know, the coroner's verdict on this one is certainly in keeping with my views that Ofsted is done too, rather than done with, that it is not a learning opportunity. It is, here's your judgment, then go away and we'll come and check back up on you in six months to a year's time or maybe even four years' time, depends on whether it's inadequate and there's going to be check-ins or it's maybe requires improvement. You just sort of let to get on i think most local authorities know the issues they face and an ofsted inspection doesn't change that an ofsted inspection an ofsted presence isn't going to reduce the glaring inequalities that some local authorities feel and others don't. It isn't going to address staffing issues. It isn't going to address austerity or funding issues. It isn't going to address 20% vacancy rates, which are across the country. And I'm not sure that the current framework is very collaborative and very helpful because ultimately... If these Ofsted inspections were really making a difference, then where's the tangible improvement being seen? Yes, certain local authorities are getting outstanding ratings, but would they not be doing that regardless of whether Ofsted was inspecting them or not? I mean, you know, exactly. if my if, yeah. if my if my roof's off my house, I don't need a builder to come out and survey to see there's a big <laughs> problem. I don't. I don't. Come on.
1: Come no, on. that's a good analogy. That you is. can
0: see you you can see the glaring issues, and it's like. My children are young. If my children make a mistake and I shout at them, does that stop them making the mistake again?
1: No, of course not.
0: If my son, who's four-year-old, he, he hasn't wet his bed for a long time, say he wets his bed in the middle of the night and he comes and wakes me up. If I shout at him and have a go at him and make him really, really feel bad for wetting his bed and waking me up in the middle of the night, what's he going to do next time he wets his bed?
1: He's going to try and hide
0: it, isn't he? Exactly, exactly. Because if I say, it's all right, lad. You know, it's fine, Captain. You know, these things happen. Now, any mistake that a child makes, or any mistakes that a human being makes. Now, yes, look, we could initially maybe be a little bit annoyed, like, oh, my God, you broke that. Like, my son dropped my iPad when we were at the swimming pool. <laughs> oh, so no. Going, and he cracked the screen. Now, for about five seconds, I've got to be honest, I was a little bit annoyed. And I was like, well, okay, there we go. It's Captain. Let's move on. It's done. So the point of this analogy about my children is that people know when they're getting it wrong. They don't need to be hammered. It is rare that punishment of that type works when people are trying the best. Now, it's very, very different. If social workers are doing things wrong on purpose and say local authorities are intentionally getting it wrong and someone's embezzling funds, and evidently people do need to be told, and that is why we've got the Social Work England investigation framework. But... I'm not so sure that the current model of going in there, turning everything upside down, looking for problems and telling people what they've done wrong, I'm not sure that really, really helps. I think it would be far better if you had maybe... People who were independent, embedded within local authorities, not of the local authority, but employed on a national basis who were just there all the time, almost like what principal social workers should be. So you had a principal social worker that wasn't directly employed by that local authority, but it was employed by the government, reported back to the government. And they were there just as practice improvements and practice leads. And it was an ongoing process where people learned from, almost like the, what the What Works Centre was trying to do in social care, you know, good practice, sharing best practice, and just making sure things are done right. And I just think, you know, we would be having a far kinder, a far kinder approach to inspection. On that note of kindness, Tilly. Do we expect to see changes made to how Offset approaches inspections based on what's come out about their rude approach to this inspection and how it likely contributed to the death of Ruth Perry?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I expect that that should happen. What changes um, do you
0: think? Well, okay. What what changes do you, do you think? What changes do you do you want to be made, and what changes do you think will be made? Do you think there's going to be a disconnect between what you want and what will actually happen?
1: Well, of course there is, isn't there? I mean, such, is this such, such, such is life. Such is the life this of, very of a woman with high expectations um, <laughs> like you, Tilly. The <laughs> and, gap and between the is fiction
0: and reality.
1: People go into these, these jobs in mm-hmm. Ofsted and in CQC because generally they want to improve services. People don't go in with the motivation to do bad things, or the majority don't. You might get the odd person as within any service. But what is it that's made them rude and unprofessional? Is that the culture that they're working within? Or is that something about themselves? And if it's something about themselves and and their professionalism, well, that needs to be addressed in within their management structure and supervision and competencies, because that should not happen. That would be the same as if if someone said that a social worker was rude and unprofessional, that would need to be investigated, that their practice would be looked at and and either support given to make changes or actually that individual might not be best placed to work in that field. But if it's something to do with the culture and the way in which their employees are being made to carry out these inspections mm. and that this cold-hearted judgment, that they are being asked to deliver, if that's that's kind of part of their job description and their day-to-day work, well, that's a really serious issue and that needs to be addressed and go back to the drawing board, really, and and start the whole inspection process, sort of rip it up and and start building it again. Um, and and I, I like your idea of, of having independent principal social workers. I think that would be a really good starting point. And going back to the, the, the rating systems that they use, because Ofsted and CQC use the same rating systems. I was chatting to one of my teacher friends the other day. He's actually, he's left teaching now. He, he's no longer a teacher, but worked as a teacher for 10 years and was saying that the problem is, is when a school gets outstanding... And it might be for, for various reasons, but often it's, it's normally things like their provision of special educational needs is really good, or there's a particular aspect of their curriculum that's really, really positive. Well, then that school will get an influx of parents wanting mm-hmm. their children to go there. So the demand goes up, but the resources that the school have don't get, um, that don't improve, that doesn't go up. So actually, then they become more and more stretched. And suddenly a school that was doing really well in a particular area can no longer cope with the demand and then Ah. will start to fail. And I just thought that was a really interesting point. And and when I thought about um, how that applies to adult services, because care homes and domiciliary care providers are are inspected under CQC, again, using the same ratings. And I've always thought that the ratings don't equate to what I would call a good quality service. Um, I would, pretty much disregard the ratings often. I, I know when I walk into a place, the feel that I get, the atmosphere, I can I ha- will have a look at their paperwork because that's part of my job and, and making sure that their the systems and things are in place. But you can normally get a good impression fairly quickly about whether a service is, is good or not. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't often correlate to their ratings because they've got a really narrow set of frameworks to work with. Um, And things like service user feedback, carer feedback is often so tokenistic. It's not actually the co-production inspection models that they would aspire to. Um, And and I think it it doesn't necessarily have that collaboration with other professionals as well around social care uh, workers, health workers, people that are going into that service day in, day out they can often tell you whether a service is good or, or performing yes. or not. Um, and again, that often does not equate to a rating um, that may have been given several years ago as well because uh, these these inspections don't come around all too often for the well-performing services. So you might have had outstanding rating or good rating three, four years ago. But actually, things could have changed significantly in that organisation since then. They might not be performing at that level, but if they haven't been inspected and no one's checked that out, then how would you know that that service was failing? So it's only as good as the snapshot in time that it, it reflects. Um, and I just, I, I think the system is really flawed.
0: You make a good point there about, you know, who's doing the feedback, because if you were a big fan of musicals, if you had heard there was a new musical out would you trust the view of one single theater critic or would you trust the views of a hundred theater goers whose view would you go by in terms of whether that was a good musical or not would you want the reviews of a hundred people just like you or would you want the views of one professional critic
1: oh the hundred people definitely critics there are there, there to be critical there we go <laughs>
0: that's it and that and that. Yeah. And that is the parallel that we see here. You know, offset are there to be critical. That's their job. Um, And this is the strange thing in social work. We we have to hold our hands up. We are very, very poor at getting feedback from our clients. Now, in children's social care, client feedback is very, very difficult because the majority of times you're involved with a family in my line of work, it's not voluntary. It's because something's evidently gone wrong. Now, it doesn't stop you getting positive feedback, but it can be difficult to gain feedback when it's not a voluntary position. But still, we should get better at getting it, particularly from the children at the heart of the matters. Um, Thinking about this kind of adversarial culture with an offset, do we think this is a wider issue too, i.e. do we potentially see an adversarial culture with Social Work England investigations or perhaps internal
1: investigations
0: against employees?
1: Well, yes, Vince. I read your article that that Ah. came out this week. So, yes, I think it does. Um, You you gave some good examples within that article of investigations that were completely unfounded and Mm. um, uncollaborated with... uh, No, corroborated, that's the word. With evidence... um, So, yeah, perhaps you want to explain that to the listeners that perhaps haven't seen the article. Yeah.
0: So, what what Tilly's referring to is um, a couple of articles that back in February, actually, guys. So, if you want to just go on and if you want to read these, if you just click on my name and look at any articles by me, Vince Pete, and if you click on my little name, it'll take you to all. I've written 104 articles. That's two years' worth of daily articles, columns that I've done for social work news, Tilly. Um, So if you want to head on, you can check this. It's from uh, February uh, 23rd, 23rd of February, so uh, almost 10 months ago. Um, Basically, I'd read this story about Social Work England. They'd had had a social worker under investigation and suspended – for 22 months based on hearsay evidence that he was drunk. So this is a social worker who had an investigation underway for almost two years. And Social Work England went so far, they went to the High Court to extend this investigation, and then they just let it go without so much as a whimper and simply said that, um, yeah, well, actually, there's no evidence you were drunk. Um the panel heard that none of the service users Mr. R was allocated to had made any formal complaints about him, and there was no direct evidence at all of allegations against him. And any evidence that was available was hearsay evidence. And this is someone's entire life, Telly. You know, it's shocking. He, How would your life it's look disgusting. if you couldn't work? How how would your life look if you couldn't work for two years?
1: Well, completely different. I mean, you can't even afford a roof over your head can exactly. you, if you lose your job. So you're homeless and everything that follows.
0: So, this, you know, you're suspended for 22 months for unfounded hearsay allegations. And then if you're honest and you tell any new employer, because any new employer in any sort of social care job will ask, well, are you currently open to investigation anywhere else?" Yes, I am. Well, I'm sorry, we can't employ you. You know, this is on hearsay evidence. This is on hearsay evidence. This man was drunk without any complaints whatsoever. So I, oh, honestly, I read that and the, I I see that the injustice of it, that someone's entire livelihood can be suspended, their life can be turned upside down for 22 months. To the extent that Social Work England will go to the high court and seek a special order to extend these, to extend his suspension, now, surely we knew this evidence was here stay right from the start. Why on earth does it take 22 months?
1: And it's and, disgusting. Absolutely what it disgusting. 20,
0: what does it take 22? If the police came to my house, all right, yeah, Mr. and um, we heard you were drunk the other night. Where's your evidence? Oh, well, there isn't any. We'll go away and investigate for 22 months, see if we can find anything. But you can't work in that time. You can't do anything. What? Hang on. Where's the evidence? Yeah,
1: yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Like
0: the, the burden of proof has to be so much higher. Um, so I wrote an article about that basically saying that look, social work must establish more evidence before starting life changing investigation. You know, this was a twenty-two month investigation, it was just discontinued. Um,
1: yeah. and and also what about the impact on his family as well? Exactly. Um I mean I, I don't know what area he he works in or or what area I don't know if he has a family or or other people to support but this is, doesn't just impact on him it impacts on on potentially loads of other people as well it's it's shocking Absolutely. well the impact actually you,
0: you make a fair point about the impact of these investigations but um there was some research done not into Social Work England, it was done into our formal, uh, former regulator, the Healthcare Professional Councils, the HCPC. But the investigations are more or less the same, so I'm pretty sure this would be just as relevant. And it, uh, there was uh, some research done around five years ago. And it found that fitness-to-practice investigations can result in people experiencing significant stress and, in some circumstances, leads to social workers considering or attempting suicide. So, look, Ruth Perry did um die by suicide, but this investigation culture, this idea that, you must scapegoat someone. Must be to blame. We must drive forward standards, and we have to blame someone. We have to label local authorities as inadequate, and we have to demonise social workers and suspend you from your job for twenty two months whilst we find out if you've done something wrong or not. We don't know you've done anything wrong, but we're going to suspend you for twenty two months while we try and find out. Wow, wow. Well, how does that fit within the the ideals of natural justice? And freedom, beauty, truth, and love and 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 congruence and empathy and person-centered practice. You know. And as you've said that awesome. to our clients, well, I yeah. think you might have done something wrong. We don't know yet. But you know, we're going to put you on this plan, we're going to put you on a care order, we're going to take your children off you for 22 months while we're trying to work someone out without without an evidence of proof. It's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Now, look, I'm not saying that social work is going to need to abandon completely, just as I'm not saying that Ofsted need to abandon their work completely. But there has to be some form of common sense here, does there not, Tilly? There has to be some sense of seeing the human at the end of this investigation process. You know, why so adversarial? It doesn't make sense, you know. The HCPC and well, now Social Work England. I'm just talking about the HCPC because, you know, that was the research from five years ago, but these regulators we've had. They're there to improve practice, and they're there to make sure we get it right, but surely they aren't there to go on witch hunts and suspend people for 22 months based on nothing but hearsay, and then simply discontinue the case and say, well, actually, we've done our work now. Sorry it's taken us 22 months. Crack back on with your life. And you know that this social worker have got nothing more than letter saying the case has been discontinued. How could you justify two years? How can you justify two years' worth of work? Shocking. Absolutely, she's people's well, lives that are on hold.
1: You can't justify it, that's the point. It's just indefensible that that's happened, and I'm sure that that social worker is not the only one. Um, oh no, no I'm God, sure be... there are many, many others no, that have experienced that.
0: I, I know social workers that have gone for the investigation process, I know them personally, um, and I know other social workers who've contacted me via um social media to share these stories with me this is going on every single day people's lives absolutely suspended And just left in limbo. Now, yes, of course, there are some stories which are absolutely abhorrent, and we cover them. We cover the many cases of social work malpractice on social work news. We write stories. Just last week, we uh, covered a story about a social worker being suspended because he failed to report the fact that he noticed padlocks on the outside of a child's bedroom door. Well, evidently, you're unfit to practice if you don't think to report that. Of course, you are. But these are very different things to some hearsay that somebody thinks you might have been drunk. Oh well, okay. So if somebody's gonna say that about you or me tomorrow, Tilly Oh, we heard they've been drunk. Is that our job? Suspended for twenty-two months. Well, it sounds oh. a bit talking about Germany. It's not is that not how the stars he went on? Are we not, you know, are we not on the wrong side of the Berlin Wall here going on that way? Spinal, I think he was drunk, I think she was drunk. Well, let's strip them of the job for twenty-two months and let's look into it and try and find if we can find some evidence. Where is the burden of proof? Same with Ruth Perry. Where is the burden of proof? Are the children saying the school's inadequate? Are the parents saying the school's inadequate? No. Do you know what it was, ironically, that she was going to get downgraded for, Ruth Perry? Go on. The safeguarding policy. Mm. Now, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think a nicer inspection might be like if I take my car for its MOT? Okay, your car goes for its MOT. You take it in, then what do you get? You get the inspector says, by the way, this might fail on its MOT. Um, go away and get this done, bring it back get these repairs, we'll give you some advisories you come back, your car's past fit, fit for the road, crack on do you not think an offstead better way for going on might be? Oh, by the way, Miss Perry, um, we've identified that there's some issues here regarding your safeguarding policy. We're gonna give you a month to get this right then we'll come back and take a look at it and see how you get on. Now, don't get me wrong, Tilly, I'm pretty sure she'd be working like a blue assed fly. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that her nights would be very, very busy, but at least you give them the opportunity to get it right. Or how about even better, how about we say, well, actually, Miss Berry, the safeguarding policy isn't really up to scratch. We've got some experts that are going to help you. We've got somebody here that's a safeguarding expert. They do best practice and they support all your schools in their area, in your area, they're going to come along and they're going to do this work for you. We'll help you get you up to speed. Sadly, it's a provisional, adequate rating. The rating will be inadequate if you don't get this right. But we'll come back in a month's time, we'll give you the opportunity. Or even two months' time, even three months. But no, we say, right, this is inadequate. We'll come back in a year or two's time and see how you're getting on. You'll carry that label of shame from that point onwards. What is wrong with the world?
1: I know and the impact that it had so again same having this discussion with my teacher friend and he was saying that that apparently Ruth Perry had been working at the school for for many many years she'd been a really stoic part of her community and the, the the fear that she had when she got this inadequate rating was that the whole community would then suffer as a result because house prices and services and the wealth of an area can be determined by the schools within that catchment area um, and actually if you've got an outstanding school or a selection of outstanding schools in an area generally house prices go up which yes. means that money comes into the the um the local community services improve, and it can have a real positive impact. But on the flip side, as soon as someone gets a school gets an inadequate rating, house prices drop, people then struggle financially. People that has a knock on impact on the local economy, people lose their jobs. And that is just horrendous that one person would feel that sense of responsibility when actually that the whole system was flawed to begin with, and it should never have happened. Why wasn't she just supported to support to improve that safeguarding policy? Why did it have to come to that?
0: Does not make sense? Does it again like your MOT for your car? It absolutely doesn't make sense at all. It just it, it, it is. Where is the benefit of that? Where is the benefit? Of not not simply because because it, it doesn't improve things. This is the this no. is the madness of it. It's not helpful. You should be born in and actually, but you know what? We've identified a problem here. Not, we're going to set you to these standards. If you don't do them, you're going to get told off. No wonder people are so scared. No wonder people are so worried. You know, and then it's not been done intentionally.
1: No, parents take their children out of the school. So the school numbers go down, and and schools are funded based on the number of children that they have on their books. And Well, surprise, surprise, when the money dries up and and goes down, then you're going to have less teachers, less support staff. And actually a service is then going to become inadequate because it's not going to be able to sustain itself based on the limited financial income that it receives. So it's just a vicious circle of it.
0: And this is the pressure. This is the pressure, the pressure that these people are under and, you know... Just another reminder of why I never want to be a a service manager or an assistant director. I made the decision to go into independent social work and to hone my skills on the front line. But uh, I propose that there should be a better way to this, Tilly. Like I always used to say to you on the podcast, give me answers, and you would say, give me answers yourself. Well, this time I am bringing you some answers. So do you know much about the airline industry, Tilly, and how they deal with problems?
1: Well, I know a little bit more since I've read your article. Oh, but, good um, answer, my friend. Good answer. <laughs> I didn't know much before, so <laughs> enlighten me.
0: Well, listeners, if you want to head over to my social work news, um, I've done two columns this week as a treat for you, an early Christmas treat. Um, I did one earlier the week um, just in advance of the podcast because I wanted to you know, run through the ideas that I was going to discuss. And I've got my usual one, which is out on Thursday. Uh, but the one I did earlier in the week, again, head over to mysocialworknews.com. You were able to check it out. I essentially put out five lessons about failing that social work could learn for the airline industry. I'm just going to quickly run through these, Tilly. Um, these are things that the airline industry does because the airline industry, essentially, they um, they have a no-blame culture. You know, they essentially say that no one's to blame, but we need to learn. So they're a kind of five key lessons we can really learn from what the airline industry do. The first thing they do, which is really good, they embrace a culture of safety and learning. So they prioritize safety above all else, but they understand that errors are opportunities for learning and improvement, not for punishment. That's the number one lesson we can take. Number two, they look at systemic analysis instead of individual blame. So in aviation, Mishaps are rarely, if ever, attributed to individual error, but instead they attribute them to systemic analysis to identify the underlying factors. So not there isn't an idea of that person got it wrong, but why, what led that person to get it wrong. Third lesson we can take from them is that they have regular training in the simulate worst-case scenarios. So pilots in particular undergo rigorous and regular training And that includes simulations of various failure scenarios, such as planes going down, emergency landings, having to do, you know, land in water and so on. We rarely do that in social work. Instead, we tend to have like group supervision about current cases. We don't really look at what could go wrong if. So that's something we could learn. Fourth lesson is that there is a lot of collaborative problem solving and peer support. The airline industry are really good at emphasizing teamwork and peer support and addressing issues. And they kind of understand that collaborative approaches yield better solutions than individuals. Again, we're not looking at an individual scapegoat here. We're not looking at blaming a specific council or a certain head of service or a certain department, but you know, let's all work this together. We all want the best for those that we support. So let's all let's learn together. And the fifth lesson that we could really take from them is how they have very transparent reporting and accountability mechanism. So the aviation sector, they've got really robust mechanisms for reporting errors. And the key here, Tilly, is that you're able to report errors without fear of retribution. And that's also coupled with a transparent accountability process. Coming back to the analogy I gave of my son earlier, If one of my children makes a mistake, I want them to know they can come with me and share that mistake. We can address it. I don't want them thinking they've got to hide it from me. Because if people start hiding mistakes, those mistakes mount up. So with Perry, again, imagine she knew that there was a problem with her safeguarding, but she couldn't go to Ofsted. Who could she turn to for help? Oh, I'm not sure about my safeguarding policy or better better not tell anybody that we haven't got it quite right. Because something might go wrong. A local authority perhaps maybe know that they're not doing very well at recording children's voices. Obviously, one of the key themes of Ofsted has been for several years now and ensuring that the voice of the child is recorded. That's easy to do if you've got a caseload of 14. You can do brilliant direct work if you've got a caseload of 14. A lot harder to do if you've got a caseload of 34. So, if we could embrace that transparent reporting and accountability mechanisms, hold our hands up and say, "Look, we're getting it wrong here. We need a bit of help," and help to actually come, we'd do a lot better. So, I'm, I'm not sure, Tilly, but I. Uh, I don't think we're doing any of those things, any of those five <laughs> things in social work and certainly not doing them well. And I think in children's services, we'd certainly benefit from that. Do you think embracing the airline industry's approach to mistakes and problems might yield similarly positive results in your field?
1: Absolutely. Yes, I am fully on board with this. I don't know why no one has come up with it before, but yet again, it's it's down to you and me to to come up with these suggestions and there we go i think it could work
0: well there we go tilly there's our new thing we're going to start you know let's uh let's hook up with some pilots (laughs) you particularly and uh, (laughs) that'd be nice a nice hunky pilot you you do like the travel and you like a man in uniform why not get yourself a pilot
1: well if only it was that simple vince but anyway that's a story for another day (laughs)
0: <laughs> the only thing I'll be getting close to eating night is the pilot light when I'm cooking my dinner. Um, right. Sure, I'm on form. Back over the bag. Ba-bang! Bang, pow! Um, right, listeners, thank you ever so much for tuning in. It's good to be back after a week's break. Oh, next week, Tilly is clocking off for Christmas. You will not be hearing from Tilly next week. We've got your friend and mine, Matt B, on the show with our festive special. Yeehaw! Should be a good one. Tilly, um, it'll be about three weeks till we hear from you. Have an amazing time in Germany, and uh, Merry Christmas, my friend.
1: Merry Christmas to you too, Vince.
0: Well, listeners, as always, if you want to check out any of the stories here, do head over to my socialworknews.com. Also check out the stories and posts over on Social Work News and Social Work World across your social media channels do consider leaving us a review as well on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere else you get your podcasts. It would be a a special Christmas gift for Tilly and I. I'll be back next week with Matt B. Then I'll be back in three weeks' time with Tilly after that. Until next week, it's goodbye from me. And until three weeks' time, it's goodbye from Tilly. I've said that on your behalf, Tilly. Let's try that again. Until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. In three weeks' time.